everyone. I'm Mike Urbans, and welcome to It's Your Water. I'm glad you found us. Today, we have a special phone interview with a titan of the salt industry, Brian Mays of the Harvey Salt Company. Harvey's where we buy our salt, and we have bought our salt there probably 25 years. I don't know. I'll ask Brian. They're a family-based company in Baltimore, Maryland. They have a really good story. And we're just going to go through salt, which is the basic vital part of our water softeners. As you know, it's one of the most abundant elements on earth. It's vital to life, but it can be toxic all the same. Because it preserved food, at one time it was traded like gold. And special salt rations were given to early Roman soldiers. I don't know if anybody knows this, but that were known as salarium agententum. And that was the forerunner of the English word salary. And I don't know how many people knew that, but, and I guess it's where it came from. I guess he's worth his salt. So it's a little stupid trivia for you folks. Until I guess this all, it was gold until they found out the ocean was full of it. <laughs> so as you know, salt is the most vital thing to our water softeners. It's the life. It's the lifeblood. But isn't salt just salt? Well, we're going to ask Brian that. The same question, because he knows salt better than I do. And we'll find out in a second. First, how you doing, Brian? Good, Mike. Good. How are you? Good, good. It's quite the intro there, but um, I'm glad you can make it here, and I'm glad you can get the time and share some salt facts and how important it is. And tell us a little bit about you know the Harvey Salt Company. I think mo- most people in the Northeast should know about you guys. I mean, they've been around how long? And who's Harvey? Yeah, great question, Mike. Thanks for having us. So Harvey Salt has been the area's single salt supplier in the greater Baltimore area. We started in 1933. It's been a family-owned business ever since. And we specialize in, in, of course, water treatment, but also food grade, ag, and, and ice melt applications. But our biggest vertical by far is is water treatment, and we're all about that and supporting the professional water treatment dealer and proud members of the EWQA for many, many years. And yeah, salt is uh, 14,000 uses for salt. We have a, a few things on our website about that. Really amazing that there's so many uses for salt, and it, it touches our lives in so many different different ways from not just water treatment, but food grade. And we have customers in, in water treatment. They want high purity salt and, and they choose a um, food grade salt. Some even choose USP salt, you know, which is typically pharmaceutical uses. So yeah, quite a variety of uses and also purity levels. With a different 14,000 uses, I'm like, what? What's your website? Where can we look that up? Sure. It's HarveySalt, all one word, dot com. And we have a title at the, at the top is, is about, and that gives you, you know, just a brief history of our company, how we started here in the Mid-Atlantic as being a single source salt supplier with not only branded products, but our own private label as well. You bag your own salt, right? I mean, you bring in the bulk we salt? We do have our own private label of solar salt. Yep, that's one of our highest velocity SKUs through our warehouse um, is 50-pound bags of solar salt. It's just just amazing the volume and the tonnage that is sold for just for water treatment. Now, how long have you been there? 
Yeah, so I've been with Harvey uh, about six years now, a little over six years. Yeah, and then prior to that, I've, I've been in the salt industry since the 1990s. Oh, wow. Okay, so you do have a salt pedigree, <laughs> so that's important. But uh, we invited you here just to go through some of you know the different types of salt, and we all know it's just a bag. There's a lot of people just, there it is, into our water, our brine tanks, right, to regenerate our softeners. And I can get all techy about, you know, how many pounds of salt. Well, the trivia question is, this is important to everybody. In a gallon of water, how many pounds of salt at room temperature can you dissolve into that gallon? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, and now we're getting into a little bit into the, the trivia. And so it's actually about 2.647 pounds of salt uh, you can dissolve in in a gallon of water. Of course, that's contingent upon how much hardness is in the water already, right? If there's a lot of iron in there, calcium, magnesium, all that takes up space. That actually figures in on the dissolving. I didn't know that. So, But that's why a lot of softeners, I think, modern day, Softeners use soft water to make up their brine. So now I get it. So if you have soft water making up brine, you make a stronger brine or a purer brine. Yeah, you're going to have a higher saturation. And, of course, it's, uh, it's going to clean the, the resin. And, and that's what we're all about. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool. So now the different types of salt. We go through this. And first is... Just pure salt. I mean, where is it mostly sourced from? When we buy, say, a bag of, say, solar salt, let's go with solar first. And what is solar salt? Is it, It's kind of funny. They use solar panels to make it. <laughs> it's, you know, but what is solar salt? <laughs> well, not salt? exactly. No, no, no. Yeah, no. so, yeah, yeah. No, I know you're joking. But so solar salt is naturally a form in typically in the warmer, drier, more arid climates, typically in the Caribbean, for example, where you have uh, that constant wind and you have temperatures that, that are up and you have low humidity and that salt is water is impounded in, in shallow ponds. And then they keep uh, as the salinity increases, you have the wind that whips it up into a froth, and then that froth starts to crystallize and then harden, and then they further impound it in shallow ponds so that the concentration increases. And then really you have crystals that, that generate, and you would go in there the same way, very similar to what a farmer would use in a combine to combine up the crystals, and then it's washed with salt water so that it doesn't dissolve and that removes the surface impurities and it's it's loaded on a and a vessel and then shipped up to various ports in the typically what we see is in, is in the northeast but it can be shipped uh it's certainly shipped all over the world you have some little variations of that where you have very arid climates and it's mined from the tops of mountains and brought down to the port at that locale and then uh, shipped to, again, put on a, a vessel. Since it's so arid in some other world climates, they don't have to wash it. And uh, it just gets put on the vessel that way and it's shipped over that way. So, yeah, a couple different variations. But typically the solar salt is from uh, shallow ponds where they keep impounding it and increasing the 
the concentration of the sodium chloride. Like seawater, though. Just seawater, and they just evaporated away. This stuff that we buy for our seasoning or, or that says not solar salt, but what do they call the gourmet salt? It's just basically solar salt, right? It's from the from sea salt salt. And they think because there's trace minerals, I guess, in it, you know. Yeah. And there are, you know, certain waters throughout the world, such as the Mediterranean Sea, that definitely contain, you know, more nutrients in the water. There are higher sources of, of magnesium, for example, and calcium and all those chemicals that impart more of a taste to the salt. And and it is more of a distinctive taste versus what we would call table salt. So table salt is kind of a good segue into that is typically produced or industrial salt that we use for for water softening through deep well mining solution. And that's found underground. So there's holes that are drilled through the same way you would pretty much bore a well. And then there's water that is forced down there. And then there's salt water that's brought up. The salt is dissolved, brought up, and then through a process called vacuum pan evaporation, the Salt is steamed off into crystals, and then that's where you would get like your pellets and your blocks and your cubes and some of those higher value salt items that we would typically use for professional water treatment dealers, such as your cube salts and your pelletized salt, which is for your old school water treatment dealers is somewhat got a possibly a bad name for itself over the years reputation yeah for becoming possibly bridging or mushing in the brine tank that's really all changed now we really don't see that anymore what we see is a high purity salt from your cube salt and so we've had a lot of customers that are water treatment dealers differentiating themselves and using a cube salt versus a pellet salt or versus a solar salt crystal because you can't go out and get that anywhere, right? It's a higher purity. The end user residential customer really needs to, as they should be doing, going to their water treatment professional and, you know, and getting that higher purity cube salt. So cube salt, we're talking about all the different types of salt. We got solar salt, which has natural dissolved minerals, which isn't super pure. Then we have the pellet salt we talked about, which is even pure. But now you just mentioned this cubed salt. What is that? Yeah, so your cube salt is is essentially a pure salt. Uh, some of it can have a resin cleaning additive to it, but it's it's manufactured through vacuum pan evaporation. The brand that we sell the most of by far is is actually from the largest salt production facility in the world, and that's in Canada. And it comes down and gets shipped to us. It's it's 99.8% purity, so it's it's much higher than what you'd see in typical solar salt, which averages a little bit less than that, but you can still see some of the impurities because it it is seawater and the, the surface impurities are washed off of it. Solar salt as best as possible, but the cube salt is really in a class by itself. And you know, as you know, Mike, from purchasing salt, salt is pennies per pound to purchase it. The larger component of, of salt costs that we're seeing, unfortunately, is due to transportation, especially recently. You know, when you look and see what fuel has done since the pandemic and so forth, and we've seen even as we head into the fall here of 2021 with 
energy prices rising, uh, natural gas, as well as we monitor the on-the-road uh, diesel, on-highway diesel fuel indexes through, well, EIA.gov, uh, and that's published and updated weekly, and it's just been climbing. So we're seeing that more of the cost component of of salt is really comprised of, of getting it from production to the market. Wow. It's like everything. It's almost like the truck costs more than the dirt. The trucking costs almost more than the salt, in essence, from the get-go. That's the way this world we live in right now. And we'll discuss the challenges you have a little bit later. I just, with trucking and everything. Yeah. Now, I will say with regard to that, Harvey does have their own trucks. So we're able to curtail that a lot better than if we were relying on outside carriers, which we rely on a few, but by and large rely on our own fleet to make that happen and then get just-in-time deliveries to our customers. So we feel a nice advantage there in being able to service our customers to, you know, when they need product. Oh, yeah. It is a big advantage. You know, it's a, it helps us. That's why we've been customers for so long. So we talked about solar salt, pellet salt, cube salt, but then there's rock salt. What is rock salt and what do we use it for? Sure. Yeah. Great question, Mike. So in some areas of uh, the United States, for example, that may be a lot more landlocked than what we enjoy being closer to, say, the East Coast. And we're about 10 miles from the Port of Baltimore here in, in Maryland. But you've got some customers that we have, you know, in the Ohio River Valley and Pittsburgh and so forth that they really have a higher cost to bring in solar salts because of the high cost of trucking, delivering it from the East Coast ports. So there is salt that is run up the river system through from New Orleans, for example, and run up to Pittsburgh and even higher. And so that is rock salt. And it's surprisingly a pretty high purity and it is used in, in water treatment systems. It is not the typical mined salt that you see coming from upstate New York and so forth, where it has large amounts of shale and black pieces in it that's typically used to melt ice. So there is higher purity of rock salt. It sounds nasty, but when you look at it, it it really doesn't have those black pieces in it. And then we also have, uh, you know, some manufacturers that interestingly enough, have a color sorter, which is a uh, machine that will actually shoot a, a light beam through the salt. And if it doesn't go through with certain tolerances and thresholds, it'll puff air and shoot it off the line. So you're left with rock salt that has a higher purity and virtually no black specks in it that yeah. way. But for our dealer market, they should really stick with solar pellet or cubes. To be yeah. just, yeah. yeah, just to, I would say, avoid the rock salt unless you talk to a professional in your area. But for us and my customers, I would surely tell them solar is good, pellet salt's even better, but cubes is, I'd say, the best. Absolutely, yeah. And the reasoning that we use is, you know, with, I think we touched on a little bit earlier here, there's the fuel prices and the transportation of salt that's heavy has become so much of a component of the final price when it gets to the destination, which is typically our professional water treatment dealer. It composes a lot of the price. So uh, if you've got 
that dealer that has to have a truck roll go out, you have to send a technician out because, you know, there's a piece of dirt that gets caught in the softener head and the fleck valve or other areas, then, you know, you really want to use that higher purity salt because salt only costs pennies per pound. But then if you have to send a tech out to address an issue because of dirty salt, why that's something that, you know, could be easily remedied and starting with, with a higher purity of like a cube salt from the start. Right. We've all seen the sludge that can happen over the many, many, many thousands of pounds of salt being dissolved in a brine tank. It creates almost like a pretty bad looking sludge in the bottom just because it's just there's hundreds and hundreds of pounds being dissolved away. But I guess a cube or a pellet wouldn't do that and create a sludge. Yeah, and that's a great point because a lot of solar salt, you know, even though you see the white salt in there, some of that actually may be maybe coral, and of course coral isn't isn't going to dissolve anytime soon. So that at the bottom of a of a large brine silo or an inside brine day tank, you know, that would definitely accumulate there at the at the bottom. Yeah. And we talked about salt bridging, that you're saying that's kind of a thing of the past that was just kind of a different process with a pellet salt, so you don't see much bridging anymore. I mean, bridging can happen for many, many different reasons, you know, improper design, there's, uh, you know, improper setting of the floats and the brine grids, or lack of use. We've seen that, where everything just solidifies because it's a vacation home, or they let it sit for a month, and everything starts to harden up. But if softener is being used often, it shouldn't have a bridging issue, from what I understand. Right, yeah. When when that brine draw tube and, and you know, the salt is dissolved at the bottom of the, of the brine tank, if that's happening frequently, then we don't typically see that being an issue with, with the pellet salt that they're making today or, and certainly not with the cubes. Yeah. Now, salt with resin cleaner, is it worth it? Is it any advantages? Do you sell it? Like the resin cleaner, say you have a bad iron situation, you want to keep your resin beads clean. What's the story behind that? Yeah, we do have uh, salt that is an iron fighter additive that's in, impregnated into the salt and distributed evenly. And then with the solar salt, we have that added. It's more like a powder that's added to the crystals because obviously the crystals are coming out, they're solar crystals, and they can't be impregnated with the the resin cleaning agent. But the pelletized salt and the cube salt, especially the cube salt, we do have the uh, resin cleaning agent that is made up of each individual cube. Mm -hmm. So there is some advantages to that when you have high iron, high manganese, and you really want to keep the, the resin beads and the inner workings of the brine system tippity-top shape. And one thing I backing up here, I forgot to mention some geek speak here that anion, when we use anion nitrate systems and everything, it actually uses the chloride portion of the sodium chloride and cation resin actually uses the sodium portion of the sodium chloride. So cation resin will give you sodium in the water a very tiny bit for exchange and the anion resin will raise the chloride or levels of your water, treated, treated water, slightly, very, very slightly. I want to go into the details of that because we're concentrating on salt. But a lot of people don't know that anion uses the chloride of the sodium chloride, cation uses the sodium 
portion of the sodium chloride. So a little quick segue that I forgot to mention is potassium salt. How come it went from $7 a bag back in the old days to like a bazillion dollars a bag now? You know, I'm exaggerating, but it has been like almost like a five-fold price increase. And what is that? I mean, do you sell the potassium salt, potassium chloride? Yeah, we still do. Uh, surprisingly, we, we sell quite a bit of it. Despite the, the high cost increase, it was stems from the, predominantly the ag industry and using it in that fashion. There's other aspects of it. It's why it increased probably going back 10, 15 years ago now, and it's never really come down. But in terms of softener capacity, it takes much more potassium chloride as a brine to regenerate the same cubic foot of mineral than it does sodium chloride. So sodium chloride can certainly regenerate more cubic foot of mineral than potassium chloride. And so it even becomes more more costly to use then. But but it does have its place and we still, you know, rely on our professional water treatment dealers with their water hardness, their raw water hardness test in the individual applications to prescribe a total solution there for, for their residential and commercial customers. Okay, good. Now, segueing into commercial, big industrial, we don't want anybody tuning out on this last one, but I think it's kind of a cool thing that systems, some big industrial systems can become so big that the brine tanks become huge. So Harvey and a couple other companies in the, in the United States actually manufacture a salt silo system, which actually you can bring in a bulk truck, right? Big bulk truck. And literally dump it into like an auger system. I'm being real crude here, but and you make brine in a brine maker, which is like a you know a big brine tank, but it doesn't have the salt in the brine tank. You're actually making the brine, pumping it to a day tank, as they call it, and then that brine gets sucked up by the softener or pumped to the big industrial gorilla of a softener. Because what happens is the brine tanks become so huge and you're trying to make up water in there. It just doesn't make sense. Then they, they have the thing called a brine maker that actually does it on site. It's almost like a little brine factory. And it makes much more economic sense, right, Brian? I mean, to have that than to say these other people trying to sell you liquid brine and then pump it into this day tank. They could actually come with a liquid tanker truck filling up your pool <laughs> or your brine day tank with liquid brine that they made. It just doesn't make any sense that, you, you know, when you can make it on site, then having it trucked in. What's your view on that? Yeah, Mike, I mean, that's a, we brought up a lot of good points there. I mean, essentially our view is if you're manually handling a lot of dry salt, and that's really what you want to handle on site, you want to use dry salt. And to save your money and the total cost of ownership, you want to buy your water on site, whether that's through a well or whether that's through a municipality, especially with the cost of diesel fuel over the road. And actually, we, we check it weekly, and I think this week it's up to like 385. It's up six cents versus a week ago over the road here in the central Atlantic, and that's as per EIA.gov and 
the on-highway diesel fuel prices. It just really doesn't make sense to transport water over the road because, as we said earlier, I mean, you can only dissolve 2.647 pounds of salt in a gallon of water. And so 70% of the weight of sodium chloride brine in in a liquid tanker truck is is water. Only 30% by dry weight is equivalent is salt. So it's it's really like paying 13 to $15 for a 50-pound bag of salt, and then it it further aggravates from there because you're paying for more deliveries on site inter- interrupting your operations. And so it just makes sense to buy dry salt, have it delivered to your site in whatever form. Now, when you have a customer that's manually handling 50-pound bags of salt, well, a 50-pound bag of salt could be considered, or even if they have a mandate in their company, they can only lift, you know, no more than 50-pound bags of salt. Well, maybe they've gone to 40s. Well, now you are you might be handling three, four, five thousand 5,000 bags of salt per year. That gets very labor-intensive. Sure. Injury, one injury, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, one back injury can really pay for a whole system. A brine maker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what we do is we'll work with our installer network to place a system outside in a remote location where you can use typical transportation methods that are like pneumatic tanker trailers to blow salt into that unit, or you can even use mini bulk bags, which is a large super sack full of salt, and that can be either pellets or cubes or solar salts. So there's various applications for each individual customer, depending on their workflow, how much uh, space they have inside the building. And to your point a little while ago, you know, we can even have our installers put in a system that can completely remove that inside day tank so the brine is delivered automatically to the valves of the softener mineral tanks. So that frees up space inside. There's no longer any need to manually handle bags, so you don't have to pay people to handle the bags. Those individuals can be doing something else in the facility department. And then, of course, you buy your salt in bulk, so you, you receive a typically a strong cost savings there as yeah. well. So big industrial, always smart to go with a big brine maker on site instead of having liquid brine trucked in. It just doesn't make sense to have a truck brine in. But I guess it boils down to the big ticket up front and then the savings in the future, the big savings in the future are just keep paying on a monthly payment plan, like uh, <laughs> they exorbitant amount of money to have uh, liquid brine trucked in. But that doesn't really affect. I just wanted to bring that up as a neat little side thing for our customers, people who are listening, our dealers. They really don't wouldn't be involved in something like that. But it's kind of neat because I do a lot of industrial commercial stuff that to say if they get involved with something like that and they see these people burning out by hunting bags after bags after bags and manual labor, there is an answer to that manual labor. It's bulk bags coming in, brine maker pumped into your industrial system. It's almost hands-free. In the long run, it saves them an extremely large amount of money. Yeah, really the cutoff there, Mike, it would be is, you know, generally if you're manually handling three to four truckloads of salt a year, the system can be sized for your usage. So 
The cost can also, it doesn't have to be a CapEx model where it gets budgeted in and then approved for a budget maybe a year down the road. We also have an OPEX model, which is out of the operational budget for qualified buyers that they could put in a system almost immediately and enjoy the cost savings up front and then pay for that system through the deliveries and the pounds per salt for each delivery. So not a lot of money required up front, again, for qualified buyers, or we can even do a hybrid of that. But the important thing is that it salt, as we mentioned, costs pennies per pound, but it really costs dollars per bag to move it. And, and that's where the strong cost savings is, as well as buying in bulk. Yeah, it's just like anything, right? So, well, that's neat. I mean, I think we discussed just about everything we wanted to talk about. We even peppered it, and I was going to talk a little bit about the trucking crisis and what's going on. But I hear you said solar salt is, you know, the supply is okay. We wouldn't really want to panic with any short supply because it's kind of domestic, right? The salt, we don't get big imports. I guess it's imported, but what do you see as far as our supply chain right now? Anything affecting you? Yeah, fantastic question. Very appropriate right now. We as a we see in many different freight considerations, supply chain constraints, and salt is really no different. We've done what we can here and, and been pretty successful in mitigating that. However, if there are items that we don't have control over, such as a you know, a salt packaging plant, if they don't have workers to work the line, right, then there's not a lot happening or they'll cut down on a shift or that sort of thing. So we've seen some of that come into play on the packaged end of it, 50-pound, 40-pound, and 80-pound bags still. But on the bulk end, surprisingly, no, that just seems to, to flow really well. So our bulk customers with the small, medium, or large uh, uh, brine makers really have not seen any uh, radar blips there in, in delivery frequencies or anything to really give them pause there. Okay, well, that's good news in, in, in a bad news world right now. I mean, the supply chain on just about everything that I deal with and uh, the trickle down has just been horrific. You know, we're time stamping this, you know, people are going to listen back to this sometime and and hopefully just lament on how bad it was and how we as a country got through it. So, but right now I think it's at the tippity top of the, um, you know, supply chain crisis, I'd have to say, but well, good. Thanks, Brian. I mean, I really appreciate your time and your knowledge and everything. Well, thanks for having us. Yep. Any uh, parting words you need to say, and we'll say goodbye. Yeah. Well, again, thanks for having us. Okay. Well, thank you. And uh, as I always say, trust the frog, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Bye.